Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Stephen Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. I have to, I was hesitating whether I should share this tonight or not, and I thought, why not? You ever have one of those days when it's strange things happen, spiritually and otherwise? Well, not today, but yesterday. Um, Actually, it started the day before, which would have been Monday. I got a call from uh, my, my boss's director at the hospital, and he asked if I would be at a meeting on Tuesday at 10.30 in the morning. And of course, uh, when it's in the human resource department, you always get concerned. And I asked him, I said, well, can you tell me what this meeting is about? Oh, we're just going to talk about your medical leave. Well, that's part of the story too. If you, you didn't know, about a year and three months ago, I fell in a clinic. Someone had put a chair for me to sit in while I was visiting with a patient in her, in, by her bedside. And it was an old wooden chair that belonged to the patient, but they put it there and I never looked on it. And I fell and I, bro- I broke, fractured two of my uh, um, spinal cord uh, vertebrae. And uh, I've had to go back through for some rehab on that. And any time those things happen, impl- happen, employers get concerned. Anyways, that's going back away. So I, I said, well, absolutely, I'll be there, of course. And so that morning when I got up, I, you ever have, I feel like I have to say this because I think somebody's going to relate to what I'm saying. You're thinking about something and you just finally get up and say, what's the use of staying in bed? You know, I'm just laying here thinking about this. It's 4.30, 3 o'clock, then it's 4 o'clock. And you're saying, I'm just laying here getting nothing done. I might as well get up and do something profitable. So I did. And uh, Lisa was working, and I was home alone, and I had my bowl of Cheerios and packed up my car, and it was in the dark of the garage. And uh, I went out to start it, and I was going to take, my Honda Accord, and that car has what uh, us older folks didn't realize could exist. They call it Cirrus, where you got satellite radio, which is really nice. And uh, I started it up not knowing that my Cirrus radio was on. And nothing happened because it was in the garage, because it it needs a satellite, so there was no sound. And I'm in the dark garage, and the car is starting to run, and all of a sudden I hear, I'm seeing nobody's here this time of the morning. And I I say, is it the garage door? They wouldn't be knocking on the inside of the house to come out into the garage. They usually knock on the garage door to go into the house. And then again, more fervently, And I'm saying, this is weird. I don't even know if I want to go to the side door on the garage and open it at 4.30 in the morning. And then I I hear, hello, hello. And then I realize that it's the radio in my car. (laughs) And I'm going, wow, I feel foolish. And it was some silly, I I was listening to old-time radio like, Gunsmoke and all those old ones from the 50s, that, that part. Now, I say that because of how sometimes God tries to get a hold of us. And I, I never really made the connection until just recently. But remember the story of Eli and Samuel? Samuel's dropped off at the house of Eli. Uh, his mother uh, gives him over to the ministry in the temple. And God wants to speak to Samuel. And Samuel's never really had a conversation with God that we're aware of. And this is going to be the first time where God's going to start speaking to him 
in a way he's never spoken before. And so he said that God speaks to Samuel, and Samuel thinks it's Eli. And remember, he runs to Eli, and he says, what is it, Master? He said, I didn't say anything. And you know the rest of the story. He kept doing that for two or three times. And then Eli said, the next time that voice speaks to you, you say to the voice, uh, your servant heareth. And I'm, I'm ad-libbing it's a little different than that. And God begins to speak to him. Well, now that I look back that morning, God was wanting to speak to me. He knew, uh, he knew my concern about what was going to happen later in that meeting because people will say a lot of things to mask what the truth is. And while I'm driving down the road, God gives me a, a portion of a verse from the book of Jeremiah. And I have to use my phone because I usually read from the NIV. I'm reading the Bible through, and I usually use the NIV for that. But, and I, I didn't like the King James Version because the NIV was what really the Lord was speaking to me. And I got part of the verse, and then I, I went back and read more of the verse when I got to work. In Jeremiah 29, and verse 11, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. That came from the book of Jeremiah. And uh, I found solace in that. I still, it was still before the meeting at 10.30 that morning. And so I've, what I've been doing is I've been going to the chapel in the morning when I can't sleep. I just go to the, the hospital and there's nobody in the chapel. And I can pray there and I can actually pray the presence of God into that room for people that hopefully will come in there later in the day. And I'm not pointing any fingers at me saying I'm any different than you are, but that morning I realized that uh, the people that were involved in the meeting weren't there for medical leave. You don't have the people that are there for that type of a meeting, those those uh, type of individuals, the directors and things. And I prayed, I said, Lord, let my eyes see what they would not normally see. Let me discern the spirit that's in the room and give me patience and control my emotions. And so it was kind of funny, I... I ran into all the members as they were walking down the hallway, one by one. And I looked in their eyes, and I knew what it, what it was. I knew exactly what the meeting was all about. And they, they got me in a chair, and they surrounded me, and told me that uh, I had four weeks before I was terminated. But see, God always gives us a branch to hold on. See, God knows the end from the beginning. And I looked around the room, and they, they, they said, do you understand what we're telling you? And I said, well, I very, I'm, it's very clear what you're telling me. And I went back, and I read it again, for I know the plans that I have for you. See, we, we have pre-orchestrated ideas of how the symphony is going to go of our life. We think this person is going to play the trombone, and this one's going to play the violin, and this one's going to play the cello, and we got an idea of how we want the music to go. But God chooses the members of his orchestra. He chooses the music that's portrayed. And every one of us, has a spot in that presentation. And so I, 
I said all that to say this is in your life, you're going to have a similar situation to this. A situation just like Jeremiah. God is speaking to Jeremiah actually in this verse. And he says, I know the plans that I have for you. Do you know that Jeremiah is one of the longest books in the Old Testament? But it's the least read? Because people miss the message of Jeremiah? We see the message that Jeremiah is preaching about future judgment and about repentance and how God is trying to draw his bride back into his house, a bride that's turned into a harlot. He's trying to woo her back, but also telling her there's ramifications for living outside those, those parameters of protection that God has established for his bride. So, God gives Jeremiah, after all the rejection, all the beatings, he gives him a passage of hope to carry him through. Now, we know that what, what happens in 6, 586 B.C. Nebuchadnezzar has come down and he's destroyed Jerusalem. He's left it a, a waste. So Jeremiah is prophesying about what's going to take place, lamentations, is a a visual of the aftermath of the prophecies that Jeremiah gave. And they are just what they say, lamentations. Jeremiah is mourning for the people of God that have fallen away. Even though they threw him in the miry clay and threw stones upon him and he thought he was going to die in the pit, Even though they beat him and they they mocked him and they chained him, he still loved the people he preached to that were rebellious. That's that's the heart of a, a minister. That's the heart of a pastor. That even though he has to preach it hard, he preaches it because he loves the people. The book of Lamentations is full of feeling. Like if I take you back to Lamentations, the first chapter. I just want to read a few verses from the beginning of the book. And I want you to try to get the feel of of what Jeremiah is, is doing. Now, Jeremiah was very, very well orchestrated as how it was compiled together, the chapters. And Lamentations, on the other hand, is even more meticulously formed than Jeremiah is. Matter of fact, when you get to the third book of Jeremiah, or of Lamentations, you are going to find that it's written in a very particular way. Uh, Lamentations, the third chapter, is in the very center of the book of Lamentations. It's right in the middle. It has three sets, three lines for 20, three lines per set for 22 sets, if you look at it in the original Hebrew. Each one of the 22 sets of verses, which contains three lines, starts with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And it goes from the beginning of the alphabet to the end of the alphabet. 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Each of those sections starts with one of those letters. It's compiled precisely. His words are chosen carefully. So when I read verse 1, it says, How doth the city sit solitary that was full of people? How has she become as a widow? She that was great among the nations and princess among the provinces. How has she become tributary? She weepeth sore in the night, and her tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers she hath none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They are become her enemies. Judah is gone into captivity because of affliction. 
and because of great servitude, she dwelleth among the heathen. She findeth no rest. All her persecutors overtook her between the straits. The ways of Zion do mourn, because none come to solemn feast. All her gates are desolate. Her priests sigh. Her virgins are afflicted, and she is in bitterness. Her adversaries are the chief. Her enemies prosper, for the Lord hath afflicted her. For the multitude of her transgressions, her children are gone into captivity before the enemy. And from the daughter of Zion, on all her Zion, all her beauty is departed. Her princes are become like hearts that find no pasture, and they are gone without strength before the pursuer. You can, you can feel the passion as he's looking over the landscape. There's no joy in Jerusalem. The temple's empty. The function of service to God for which it was designed is absent. Desolation remains after disobedience. Then if you'll jump with me to the second chapter, verse 9. Lamentations 2, 9 through 11. Her gates are sunk into the ground. He hath destroyed and broken her bars. Her king and her princes are among the Gentiles. The law is no more. Her prophets also find no vision from the Lord. There's no voice from God. That's even worse than the desolation that's visible. It's one thing to go through affliction, but it's doubly worse when there's no voice, nor light, nor hope given from God above. That's desolation. The elders of the daughter of Zion sit upon the ground and keep silence. They have cast up dust from their heads. They have girded themselves with sackcloth. The virgins of Jerusalem hang down their heads to the ground. Mine eyes, mine eyes do fall with tears. My bowels are troubled. My liver is poured out upon the earth for the destruction of the daughter of my people because the children and the sucklings swoon in the streets of the city. Do you remember... A couple of weeks ago, we talked about what a burden was and what a burden does to a person. How a burden can actually consume a person's whole life, his every thought. Jeremiah is a perfect example of a man who had not just a burden, but had a deep compassion and a love for the people that he ministered to. That even though they could do all those things to him, he could still love them and mourn for them in their judgment. But God, amidst all these things, always provides a degree of mercy for those that will call upon him. There is no, no pit, no sin so far that you can fall into that God cannot extend his hand down to reach you and pull you out. The problem is, your hand must rise to meet his hand. And many people find trouble encouraging themselves to believe that God would have mercy on one such as they are. But God is merciful. His mercy extends to the deepest spots of the earth. You know, life is hard for all of us. In our lives, it may be some person's health. It may be the betrayal of a friend or a place or the people that you trusted in the workplace. It could be a whole host of things. It could be the loss of a spouse. It could be that your heart is breaking over something that's taking place in your life right now. And we sometimes feel that there's not a thing that we can do about it, about the thing that is happening we can try to rectify it. We can try to say the right thing and to do the right thing. But sometimes we get to the place where we feel all hope is lost. Fear comes to people's hearts and minds when they lose control over their situation. Think about that. Fear comes from the loss of control. 
And God says, perfect love, cast out fear. And so when we marry the thought of faith being committed to trusting in God and allowing him to do that which we cannot fathom is going to happen, fear leaves. But when I try to control the situation through my own ability, I have a tendency to acquire fear because I know my ability is limited, but God is not limited in his ability. It's amazing how certain things in our life can move us. And we, we really don't realize the effect that situations have upon us and others. I, 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 I stopped in the office this afternoon and Brother Cordell was in his office and I, I said, hey, Brother Cordell, now most of you that know me would never imagine me saying this and I'm, I'm being hard on myself because I don't mind being hard on myself. I said, Brother Cordell, do you want to earn $10 for a few minutes? And he said, my, uh, what did he say? My time is more valuable than money. And I said, well, for $10, he said, what do I have to do? I said, well, I have a dentist appointment. (laughs) Would you go and get one of your teeth filled for me? I, I, I don't like going to the dentist. I never have, but... I knew he wasn't going to go, so I just, I just laughed it off, and I went to the dentist, and is Angela here? I think you relate to this. I think you relate to this. She happens to know my dentist. And uh, I went in, and they drilled her out, and thank God there was no cavity. I just lost a filling eating, eating something I probably shouldn't have been eating, but after... I was at the counter and they were dickering about my bill, which I always enjoy too. And the dentist comes up to me and she wraps her arms around me and hugs me. And there's tears coming down her face. We, we don't realize the impact we have on people. Some time ago, her father in July was dying and he lived in the Philippines and we sat in her office and I just talked to her about some of the things that might help her through the process before she went to the Philippines and I I gave her a little prayer blanket and and I gave her I prayed over a handkerchief and she took those things and I I did that all the time with people you know I, I can't say that I treated her any different than I probably would have treated a lot of other people but for some reason And I know that God operates specifically in direct manner between himself and the people that he loves, and he uses us as a side product. He just uses us like you would use a pipe to flow through. She was so dramatically affected that, that about that one incident that I'd forgotten all about, that she, she hugged and she wept and told me what it meant to her and how it affected her father, some of the things that she was able to do while she was there and how she appreciated me. And then she stopped and then she hugged me again. And I, I'm saying, this is, this is exactly what we need. To have a bad day, when you begin to think that you're really not appreciated, and then some of the seeds that you planted from months ago come into harvest and you realize that there are things that you've done that are still growing. We've still got crops in the field. Jeremiah is sowing seeds all those years, those 40 years, warning them of impending captivity. Nothing's growing. Nothing seems to be responding. But he's a farmer. He, He sows seeds. That's what he's called to do. Farmers love to farm. They have the ability to see what city folks don't. We see a seed, they see a plant. They see a plant and then they see a harvest. And just because the seed goes into the ground and nothing happens, they're patient and they keep sowing anyways. 
I just, I don't want to be long to, to, this evening, but I, I feel just a short message. What I want to say is this. We need to understand that there are going to be things that happen in our life that we think are destroying us. No, God is purging out the old part of our flesh. Trials do that. It's like squeezing a tube of toothpaste, trying to get it empty and get the stuff that's in there out. And sometimes when I'm put under pressure, my flesh gets squeezed out so God's spirit can come in. God does not inhabit a full vessel. If you're full of the world, you're not going to be full of the Holy Ghost. We have to empty or pour ourselves out to God. And sometimes, like Jeremiah, we're looking over the results of people's rejection of truth. And it hurts. In verse 21 of chapter 3 of Lamentations, it says this, Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. When I call to mind the things that God has promised, I plant hope, and I reap hope. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, but the Lord's word is not separate from what he is. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. When I take the word and I plant it inside my spirit, it will produce faith and hope. When things seem to be falling apart in a person's life, there are some things that he needs really to reinforce in his character. And one of those things is the very basic principle of salvation and the thing that draws people to God is the love of God. Not the judgment of God. You can't scare a person into the kingdom of God, but you can convince him that God is love and that he will not turn you away if you come with a repentant heart. God loves you. But that message for us as individuals is hard for us to remember when we're down for the count. We start to blame God for our situation and we begin to ask the questions, why? But remember, in the tapestry that we call life, there's many different pieces of yarn. There's many more pieces of cloth that we don't see that makes up the, the story for life. We may feel that our, our spot is insignificant, but we're all threaded together. One loose thread can cause a garment to come apart. We're all threads in this tapestry of God, and we're all different, and we're all sewn in different manners. Verse 22 says, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. <laughs> Thank God for that. Amen. His compassions never fail because of his great love. Now, if Jeremiah can look over the destruction of Jerusalem and the fall of Judah and the captivity of God's people and mourn, how much more does God mourn for us when we struggle? even when we are disobedient and actually we're reaping the benefits for our actions. God loves us. God is reaching out to us for the sole purpose to restore us to a position that he has prepared for us to fill. I... Uh, I had mentioned two weeks ago how much respect I had for Jeremiah. I, I mentioned that a person is always a success if he's faithful to his commission, regardless of the fruit of that commission. 
If you love me, it does not say if you love me, just win souls. It says if you love me, keep my commandments. In other words, the first thing that's most important in your walk for God is not just the fruit that you bear. It's your commitment to God's word and his direction. Remember, those signs will follow them that believe. They'll not lead them. They'll always follow. A person is always a success that obeys the truth and the word of God. There are three elements that make us profitable in the kingdom of God. The first one is faith. Can somebody tell me what faith is? Give me, give me the Hebrew definition of faith. What is faith? Faith is what? The, you said it. The substance of things not seen. It's the evidence of things hoped for. If you can live your life by faith, not by sight, that'll be the first step in being, being successful. The second thing is important too, and that's knowledge. What is knowledge? Knowledge is God's word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. You can't have knowledge without truth. And you can't have truth without the word. So the Bible says that God commanded Ezekiel to eat the scroll. In other words, I'm giving you the word, but I want you to ingest it and make it part of who you are. Eat the book. Eat the scroll. Now, I'm not asking you to go home and get a King James and get a little mustard and ketchup and just eat it. That's not what the Bible is talking about. Make the word part of who you are. Make the word part of your identity. Hide it in your heart. Put it in your thoughts. Live it. Walk it. Talk it. That's knowledge. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And then the third one ties the other two together. You can have faith and you can have knowledge but unless you know where you're going and have purpose, you will waver from left to right. I can know the word of God. I can have faith in what God can do. But if I don't have purpose and I don't have direction, I find that I will be driving in circles and become frustrated. You know, one of the things that I see most in the book of Jeremiah and in Lamentations, <laughs> stronger than any other book in the Bible, what I see most portrayed is jealousy. God is jealous over his people. You know what jealousy can do? Jealousy can affect a lot of stuff in how a person acts. So if God is jealous over me, what is he indirectly saying? That he will not share me with anything else. I wouldn't want somebody taking my wife out for dinner. I, I'm jealous. I don't like people saying things about my wife, even if they are true. They're probably not anyways, because I'm jealous for her. I'm protective of her. I get that attribute in my human spirit because I come forth from God. I'm created as an, in his image. He's jealous over me just as I'm jealous over the things that I love. And he will not share me with any other. When you go back and you look at how, in the book of Lamentations and Jeremiah, how he refers to Judah, do you know the, most, the thing he refers to her the most as? Harlot, 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 harlot. Matter of fact, when you get into Lamentations and Ezekiel, the description that he gives about 
this woman and how she sells herself even worse than a harlot because she takes no money. Lamentation says, not only did you become a harlot, at least a harlot gets paid for what she does. You paid your lovers. And so he gets so, so harsh with her. He's angry with her because he's jealous over her. You want to get God angry at you? Start flirting with, with other lovers. Give yourself totally over to him and let him adorn you with what he wishes you to wear. He's talking about Judy. He says, you know, I, when I found you, I gave you, I gave you precious garments. I gave you rings, necklaces. I put a, a ring in your ear. I adorned you, the Bible says, in such a way that you were beautiful. You took the things that I gave you that were precious, and you gave them to your lovers. Now, I, I want you to see the picture of what God's saying is. I, I think that these things were written for our admonition and for our correction. God has given you things in your life that are very precious. He's adorned you with holiness. He's put on you the jewels of his character. He's filled you with his power. He's jealous of the gifts that he gives as well. He will not allow that gift to be shared or given to the world. He's that way. Now you're saying, boy, that seems pretty strict to me. Well, if you had a wife or a, a husband that didn't care if you flirted with other men, would you feel secure? If you had a spouse that didn't care what you did and just said, you just, you make up your own mind, just choose what you want to do and where you want to live and how you want to live because you're a free spirit, would you feel secure? <laughs> no, I don't think you would because you're a representation of his love. So tonight, I don't know what things might enter into your pathway. But I do know this, that if you can remember the three basic principles, faith, knowledge, and purpose, and you can always remember just how much God loves you and that God has a plan for you. I know the plans that I have for you, Jeremiah 29 and 10. I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you, plans to lead you, so that when things happen in your life that seem to sidetrack you or derail your faith, you can always go back to knowledge and say, God said in his word that he has a plan for me. He has a direction for me. God loves me. He's jealous over me. You'll have a little bit more security when the world shakes. You'll find a little bit more stability in truth than you will in in emotion. Did you hear what I said? If you're judging your life by how you feel, you're foolish. Because feelings change in a moment. You could come into this church full of joy and leave uh, because somebody said some word in a, in a happenstance way and your whole day could change. Because emotions are like that. But knowledge is not. Truth is not. Truth is stable. You get somebody rooted in the truth, you can say whatever you want to that person, and they won't be moved because the, the truth is like roots to a tree. It doesn't matter what kind of wind of adversity or temptation comes against it. The truth roots the person down to the ground and keeps them stable. That's why we need to have preachers and teachers that will be like Jeremiah, that will speak the word of God, not the word of man, not their political views, not their propaganda, but who solely preach, thus saith the Lord. I like the they used to have this in the court system. I think they're probably trying to wean it out. 
Do you promise to speak the truth? The whole truth. And nothing but the truth. So help you God. See, that's what really mattered to people years ago. Just tell me the truth. And I, I'm going to wrap this up. I don't want to put my kids on the spot, but I remember, and Jason will verify, and Amy, if she were here too, would verify. I made a deal with them when they were kids, and maybe you did the same thing with your kids. I told them, I always want you to tell me the truth. I always want you to tell me the truth. And if you'll tell me the truth, even if it's hard to do, I will have more leniency than if you tell me a lie. I think it worked generally. Just tell me the truth. You know, I've heard a lot of great preachers, and I, I was under Brother Tamil when I came in, just like my brother was. You know the thing that I admired about him? To a fault uh, with him, he was very, he could be a very hard, direct person if you ever got to know him. He, when he was, when I was in the church back in 72, he, he preached it hard. I used to walk out and I'd say, man, and I'd heard somebody else say that he'd stomped all over my feet. Well, I could rec, I recognized that. He, he preached it without fear nor favor, but I knew he loved me. And you know what? A person can preach it hard to his church if the church realizes that the person is doing it because he loves them. Can I tell you a little story in closing? I, I, it just happened. When I first got saved... I think right from the beginning, I knew that God was calling me to preach. Even before I went to Bible school, I would sneak into the church when no one was there, and I'd stand behind the pulpit, and I probably looked pretty stupid. Nobody'd be there, and I would, I'd be preaching a message, and I'm telling you, and I'd probably be a little bit like Brother Tamil too. I didn't know that one of those days that I was preaching that Brother Tamil walked into the, the church. I didn't know he was there, but obviously he was. I, I heard a door slam, and then that Sunday, he was preaching, and he says, and I want to tell you, we're not here to preach to empty pews. The people are outside the church. I don't want to see you preaching to empty pews. <laughs> and I probably, my face probably turned, and I knew he was looking right at me. And I appreciated that. You know what that taught me? It taught me it's not about being a figure on a platform. It's not how eloquent and how smoothly your words and sentences go together. It's not just about how you, can, how you can be flamboyant. It's all about loving the people that you're talking to and sharing with them a heartfelt message that will change their life and watching the response that you get from people when you talk to them. Do you know... If you're interested in, in witnessing, can I share something that I, it's took me 42 years to learn? And I think I'm getting pretty, uh, starting to use the gift more and more. It's looking a person in the eye and trying to understand what's going on in their life through visual communication and, and body language. Do you know once you start, God gives you the gift to do that, you start to relate to people all, all that much differently because they become interesting. It's like picking a book up in a library and, and opening the cover. I, wa I want you to just try something. The next time you're talking to someone at work and you can do this, you got the time, look them in the eye and try to see what's not being spoken with their mouth and try 
to understand what possibly they could be going through in their own life. It will give you a burden to reach out to them. It'll give you, once you get the feel of the, the heartbeat of the person you're talking to, it makes it so much easier to share the truth. And they can see that you're interested. If they don't think you're interested and you're just blurting out verses, they're just going to take and file those in a cabinet that they'll never open. But if they know you're sincere, my father-in-law and I, uh, he, I asked him one time, he was a great salesman, Lisa's dad. He could talk to anyone, and he, he was a regional sales director for Crest Foods. He handled a large portion of the United States, and they did really well. And one day I asked him, I said, Dad, you know, I, I'm in the ministry, and I, I envy your ability to communicate with people. What is it, what is it that you have that, that you can talk to anyone and you can get them to respond? It's, and I know that he did it for sales. And he says, you got to love people. You have to be interested in people. You have to show the person that you're truly interested in them. He says, you know what I do? He says, I take a little book with me and after every person I meet, I write down their first name I wrote down what we talked about. I wrote down things about their family that they shared with me. And the next time I see them, I call them by their first name. I ask them how their children are by, by, by addressing their children by name. And I remember telling them what we talked about the last time we talked. And he says, you'll find that they're so amazed that you were so interested in their life that you could remember all that information that all of a sudden you have a connection with that person that you never had before. By showing an interest. And so God showed an interest in you and you showed an interest in him. He showed his interest in you by Calvary and you showed your interest in him, in him by giving your life back to him. So tonight... Remember that Lamentations can be a great book. It is a great book. And pick it up and, and read The Burden of the Prophet of Jeremiah. Would you stand with me tonight? Lord, I, I thank you, Lord Jesus, for revealing things to us that we've held in our hands for years. I think that's the thing, Lord, that I find so intriguing in my walk for God, my, my life of service to you, Lord, is that there are fresh things every day, things that, that you bring up and allow me to see in a new light, a new light of revelation. Help us never to stop learning. Help us never to stop being inquisitive. Help us to look beyond the little circle of our life and reach out to those that are hurting around us and have the burden of a Jeremiah, a burden of Daniel or Ezekiel. Help us to, to walk with integrity even when we don't feel we're being profitable. Help us to find the purpose that you've created us for and help us to walk in the steps that you've laid before us. Guide us and lead us in your, your way, Lord because you know the plans that you have for us, plans of prosperity and peace. And Lord, in return, we're going to try with all of our heart, not saying, Lord, that we're going to be successful all the time. We're going to try to trust you even when we don't understand. We're going to submit to you and do what's right, even when we might have just a tinge of bitterness in our heart. And so, Lord, I just give you the praise tonight, and I thank you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name. I was thinking after I, I came out of that meeting with those four people, they said, you know what? You can, you can leave right now. Or you can stay doing the job that we asked you to do, you know what they had? Sorting keys down in the security room. 
And I said, no, you gave me a job that needs to be done. And I'm, I, I'm not that proud that no matter what you ask me to do, I won't do, do it to please God. I said, I'll go back in two keys for four more weeks. And I'm going to do the best job I can. I told my manager in security, I said, I'm going to have that key rack cleaned up and organized so that when anybody comes in here, they know right where to get their key. Because am I doing it to try to get noticed? No, I'm doing it to show that I want to be like God. I want to be humble in whatever position that he puts me in. Because it isn't their direction. It's his direction to change me. And if we can look at life that way, I'm going to do the best, even if I don't agree with it or even if I don't like it, I'm going to do the best I can because I want to please God. And he's allowed me to be put in this position. So this altar is open tonight. If you get a lemon, you know what to do. All right, this altar's open. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.